Hello and welcome to Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me tonight for another Tim Talk episode is Paul from our Monday podcast. How are you, Paul? Yeah, good, mate. Looking forward to a bit of a chat. Yeah, no, it'll be good, mate. So the whole purpose, as we discussed off air, the whole purpose of the uh, Tim Talk podcast, uh, basically for we just get on talk to Celtic fans about their love of the club and how they got into supporting the team and few other things but I thought why not in the off season speak to the the podcasters on the Celtic Down Under podcast so the people who watch regularly you can get to know a bit more about you as a uh, as a Celtic fan and everything so that's basically what we're looking for tonight so we'll start off with my first question how did you become a Celtic fan? Yes it's a bit of a weird one um, as I guess it maybe is for for quite a lot of people that aren't sort of immediately in the the sort of environs of of Celtic Park in in Glasgow. Um so I, I grew up in uh, born and bred in the northeast of Scotland uh, in Aberdeenshire. Uh so down the years you get a bit of leveling that you may be a glory hunter for supporting Celtic but if you were born when I was born then to pick Celtic when you live near Aberdeen was absolutely opposite of being a glory hunter. Um in fact I've got vague rec- recollections of my old man who is actually a Celtic fan, but bringing back uh, Gothenburg uh, 1983 scarfs, um, Aber- you know, Aberdeen obviously won the Cup Winners' Cup, massive for the city. And I think he thought, oh, you know, you know, you should support your local side, even though he didn't. And he grew up where, where I grew up. So it's a bit of a weird one. And I sort of question my parents' mentality about all of that. But yeah, I am shunned that. I was only about five when that happened, sort of wasn't really into having a team at that 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 really young age and they sort of let it pass and then weirdly i think you know and you're in in sort of you know small town council states kids at different ages you all sort of play together and back when you play football in the streets or you know in the local scrap of grass and there's a bunch of kids of all different ages there's one kid who's a few years older than me he's waiting, one day he was just wearing a celtic top and I said, I haven't seen that before. So, you know, stood out and a bit of interest between me and my brother. He's only a year younger than us. And, and so, I don't know, this, we looked up to this kid. And so uh, the top was pretty, you know, the, the hoops stand out and stuff. And I don't know, like we just sort of started chatting about it to our folks. And as it turns out, both parents are Celtic fans, right? So uh, my mum's from Glasgow, an Irish Catholic family from from just outside Glasgow. My dad grew up a Celtic fan, bizarrely in Fraserburgh. I think probably the Lisbon Lions had a bit to do with that. He'd have been a a 10, 11 year old kid when, when that happened. Uh, so yeah, without being pushed into it, once we gave them, once me and my brother gave them a tiny inkling that we were that way inclined, they were all over it. So, you know, the shirts started coming, your shirts started coming and, you know, um, so, yeah, and look back there in the eighties, you know, it's not like today where you could pretty much see every game at any point and it's, everything's really accessible. Like I was, you know, we were playing, football you know every hour you know sent in in our primary school years and then once we were sort of of about 11 12 years old right through my teens i was me and my brother were playing for two or three different between the playing for the school and two other clubs you're playing three matches a weekend so you're not really able to to, to sort of closely follow your team and and being sort of four hour drive away from glasgow is not not often I could get, you know, parents could get us down there and actually see games. So it's a bit of a weird one. We sort of followed it via the radio and, you know, I don't know if this was a thing in Australia, but teletext, you know, you brought up the, this, the <laughs> punching a number on a control and news comes up on your TV. This is what makes me sound absolutely ancient. But yeah, that, and uh, and then obviously highlights packages and you're really lucky you might get the odd game, the odd big game or cup finals, obviously we're showing live. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, um, that's a, a kind of weird way around of, of being a Celtic fan. And, and I sort of, I guess I've, you guys have talked about sort of videos getting sent out from Scotland. I know Anthony's spoken about this on our show. Is like you know, you know, you had to wait for the videotape to be sent from Scotland yeah. so that you could stick exactly. it on and watch the match. But um, it's not quite as I guess it was not quite as as remote as that. But it was sort of it was a bit of a remoteness in terms of being four hours up the road from Glasgow. You never really felt that. You know, you couldn't go down to games, and it wasn't that easy. And I think. My f- earliest memory of a, of a game that stands out is the 1985 Cup final, and not because I watched it live on the telly or was even lucky enough to go out. My auntie, who's only a few years older than me, my dad's youngest sister, she was a bit of a, a mistake. She came around, she came along many years after her, my, my auntie and my, my dad, but she's only about eight years older than me. She, um, 
she showed us a videotape of the final. So that sort of drenched 1985 final when uh, Davy Proven called that, you know, brilliant one in the top corner and then McGarvey headed in to, to win it 2-1 and I think Stuart Beatty scored yeah. earlier for United. Um, she she taped that off the telly and <laughs> so she was a Celtic fan as well, bizarrely. And so she showed me and my brother and I don't know, we would have probably been, we were already interested in Celtic by that point, but I think that's the thing that sort of brought it to life. You know, it was a game we weren't, we weren't so involved as we knew that, that when that game was on and it must, I don't know how long after it was, it's probably later on in 85 or maybe very early in 86, but distinctly remember watching that game and it was, that was us, we were hooked. Uh, and then, yeah, everything else from there. Um, and yeah, folks, lucky, you know, jumped on it. And even though it was hard to get to games and there was not a lot of cash floating around, we, you know, we got sporadically down to Selig Park over the years. And yeah, as a kid, you just immerse yourself in everything. So it's shirts and books and videos and yeah, the whole lot. So yeah, um, embedded from a young age um and sort of my remote i've never lived in glasgow right so i've never the closest i've ever lived in is is the other perth which is still probably a couple hours away so i've never been i've always had to watch from afar and obviously coming down here for the last 10 years even further that's funny you say that sort of stuff because i look at it and go yeah, what, what Anthony was telling you, for us, it was the same deal over here. It was like we had the CSA, the Melbourne number one back in the day, and I was at the Celtic Club here in Melbourne, and then you'd have Celtic fans that get it one day on the weekend, Arsenal fans that get it on the next weekend, all the two clubs based out of there that have their supporters clubs there, and you'd, you'd go in, you'd get the videotapes, you'd watch three or four games in a weekend, and then basically it'd be, okay, now what? And then suddenly they had the newspaper British Football Week that came out every week. But the results in that were a week behind. So say if we were playing in an old firm game at the time, it was old firm, obviously, back in the 90s and early 2000s or whatever it would have been. Unless the game was being shown on SBS here, it was like you had to go to the newsagent, buy that. every. I think it was every Tuesday that came out, a couple of bucks, like 4 or $5 for it, get it, flip to the Scottish section, few articles, few, um, you know, see results and go, oh, okay, that's what happened two weeks ago. I didn't wait another two weeks for the tapes to get here so you could actually watch the games at the CSC. So, yeah, it was a little bit uh, easier for you, even though you were four hours up the road. But, yeah, it's uh, it's good fun that the things we used to do back in the, back in the like, 90s and 2000s, early 2000s to follow our club. Absolutely. Being out of that goldfish bowl, bowl in Glasgow, it's uh, – Good thing and a bad thing, I suppose. But um, yeah, you definitely, we'll, got we'll, you definitely got a different perspective not being immersed in it day in day out, week in week out. So, um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it always once I had the opportunity to go relative, you know, relatively regularly, I was I sort of under my own steam. I sort of it was a good period where I went. Uh, yeah, I had a season ticket and I was there pretty regularly. That's good. So we've recently had a change of manager at Celtic. So. How do you look back on Ange's time at the club, Paul? Yeah, look, n- nothing but positively. Um, you know, disappointing that he's that he went, and not in the manner he went. Really, I'm not. A lot of people got hung up on that, but as I said on the on the Monday show the other week, when just after the news officially broke, it's the nature of the game these days, right? So, you know, if if, if you're successful you'll be poached by not necessarily bigger t- clubs because I don't think there are too many bigger globally than us, but certainly richer clubs with better, you know, a better league to play in and, and more competitive um, platform. So, uh, yeah, he's a builder. It was a project. I don't think that project, well, by no means was the project done. I think a three or four year project with Andrew would have been amazing. It would be great to see how he, he took that on to the next step. But, you know, I'm long enough in the tooth, um, as I sort of just illustrated by mentioning teletext and the radio, uh, to to have seen a lot worse than uh, a treble winning manager leave a young, well-contracted squad with a ton of cash in the bank. Um, so without harping on about the 90s and stuff, you know, this is this is a minor like a minor blip uh, in terms of something to get over. It would have been amazing if he'd stayed. He, the two years were brilliant. He really sort of unified the club. And I know people think there was a bit of, you know, you know, hollowness in that in terms of how he left. But I, I 
I don't, you know, at the end of the day, we needed to be unified as a support and a club like the, you know, the COVID season, we all remember sort of the protests outside the ground and fences being tipped over and all the other nonsense. We don't, you know, it's kind of, if you look back to those times, it's kind of remarkable how quickly he turned that round. And that's really between what he said and what he did. And they all worked together and we all bought in, we all got on board. Um, we all hoped it would be a longer journey. It wasn't. Um, but yeah, I've only got positive um, sort of feelings and, and, and memories of it. Uh, it'll go down as, you know, those two seasons will go down as amongst my most enjoyable watching Celtic and having not, you know, other than the the Sydney games, which were a bit of a washout, let's be honest. Um, having not seen any of the competitive matches to say that's one of my favourite seasons in, you know, nearly 40 years of watching being a Celtic fan is, it says a lot about, what he delivered and how he went about his business. So yeah, disappointed he's yeah. gone, but we we move on. Hundred percent agree with you. It's been probably a couple of the most enjoyable seasons in my time following Celtic, along with the Invincible Treble season and stuff like that. But yeah, it's one where, as I was saying, I've said a few times on the pod that it's like um, Ange has left a team that was really likable. If that makes sense, like. There wasn't many dickhead players in the team that you didn't really like and you're like, don't come near the team. It's like every one of them you just you're like you can buy and go, that's our guy, that's our player. And it's the buy-in. And as you were saying, Paul, about off the back of the COVID season, the link between the fans, the players, the board, the club in general, we got our club back. So Andrew was really good for the club and um yeah. We move on, basically. But Absolutely. what are you looking forward to most with Brendan returning to the club? So I think it's less about, and this isn't supposed to be a diss on Brendan. I, I, I'm i on record as saying I thought he was the strongest of the candidates that were linked. So, But it's less about Brendan per se that, and more about where we are as a club. And just left us in a really good position squad-wise. Uh, yes, we've sold Jota, but we've secured Kyogo. There's a ton of cash in the bank now. You know, if you believe the rumours, it was 30 mil before Jota's sale. The guts of 20 million will be there. Um, you can talk about nets because we've paid six and a half out, but we paid six. And, some of that six and a half has been previously paid. Some of it's probably still due, but, you know, give or take, there's the best part, another 20. So for me, that if there's 50 mil in the pot, I want to see it all paid, you know, all spent on the playing squad. Um, uh, as, as we've touched on another show, is, you know, that might be a, that will be a mix of, of wages and fees. But I can't remember a time where we've been this well positioned ahead of a new season. Like you don't get a new manager coming in in this good in, in, with this good a position. It doesn't usually happen because usually you got a new manager because you're off the back of a failure of a season. It's rare that you have a, you win a treble and your manager is poached and the new guy's got the same squad or and or the cash for, for any of them that go and they're all on long contracts. They're all on a high because they've just won uh, a treble or in some cases five trophies in six years. Uh and if we go if you know without without skipping over Brendan Rogers, he he's obviously got a re, you know he's got a really good reputation, well deserved reputation of developing players, um, especially young players. It was the best thing he did when he was here the first time. You know, he's done it he's done it elsewhere and I expect him to do it again. So you know, we've got a really young squad that's already hit some, you know, some good heights already. I think the opportunity is there under Rogers to go to another level, and and that's the most exciting thing for me. Um, he's obviously not coming just to dominate in Scotland. He's done that. You don't go backwards for that. So he's obviously coming with intent to the Champions League. He's not daft. He's been in the Premier League. He knows that that takes cash. The board have presumably promised that and backed him, backed him in. So otherwise he wouldn't have come, right? So he's, you know, he's a lot of things, but he's not daft. Um, so all up, I think we're in a really good position. And if we think back to, you know, Celtic fans, there's, there's been a few times over the, not, you know, over the relatively recent history where we've had opportunities to really put the foot on the gas and pull away from our opponents in Scotland and set a new bar. And we haven't quite done it for one reason or another. To me, this seems like we're the cusp of doing that again. And for the first time in a long time, it looks like we're actually at that level. So um, it, exciting times as far as I'm concerned. And, and hopefully we're, uh, we get we get it done this time. 
We've had numerous opportunities over the years to strengthen from a position of power and we never have seemed to do it. So the fact that not only, as you said, do we have a young squad, long-term contracts have just won a treble, but then we've got 30 million in the bank plus the Jota money coming in. If we don't, if we put all that 50 million in and then the guys across the city are just like in the bargain basements looking at freebies and what and loans and whatever, then we've been talking about on the pod for ages about strengthening and building a squad for Europe, which in turn means it will take care of itself in Scotland. We're at that position where we can actually strengthen a position for power. And realistically, if you get four players at seven and a half million, those are all starting quality European level players for our club in the Carter Vickers and Jota sort of mould. Look at the daylight just increase between the two teams in Glasgow as well. So it's going to be a, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, like, I certainly think that's what we should. And the thing is, we all, we're all we always going to refer ourselves to them, but this is a real opportunity to stop looking back at, at Scotland. And like you say, position for Europe, you do that and you get that right, Scotland should take care of itself, right? Without being complacent, the players and the managers still, you know, we can become more complacent as fans. The players and managers still have to front up week in, week out and do the work. But if you build a squad at that level and you get the culture right, that and that's one of the things I understood brilliantly, and, and, you, and you talked about the squad, no dickheads, you know, and we talk about the no dickheads rule in, in Australia all the time, right? You, you know, you invite, you go to a party and you say, oh, can I bring my mate? Well, if he's not a dickhead, you can bring him, right? So that's a pretty Aussie cultural thing. And I think Ange sort of really led his squad in recruitment like that. He talked a lot about not just hiring good players, they were 10 a penny, but good humans and people that are going to fit into into the club and, and, and his sort of um, way of working. And we've got a good base on that. Um, and look, Rogers. Rogers made a similar comment in his press conference where he said, "If you know, I'll spend time with all the players, um, and you know, give them an opportunity. And if they want to buy in and work hard, they've got my full support, and I'll care for them. If they don't care, I won't care, and and they're gone. So, uh, you know, there, there's, there's, there'll be a bit, a fair amount of similarity in terms of how they set their teams out and, and play offensively and direct and." and want to, to to create chances and score goals. But I think culturally they, they're not too dissimilar in terms of um how they how they want their squads to sort of um interact and and, and sort of develop as a as a as a group of people, as as a group of young men as well as football players. Well something Rogers said in his um I think it was his one of his first press conferences. I don't know if it was with the fan media or if it was with the um on the club's thing I can't remember or the with the normal press, but he mentioned that first time around at the club to now, the structure behind the scenes has improved a lot and it's a lot more modern. So what's your take, Paul, on the current club structure? Do you think Celtic as a club, especially with Ange moving on and keeping that consistency going, do we need to have a director of football at the club or are you happy with the current setup where it's driven by the manager? What's your overall thoughts on it? Look, We've touched on this a few of the pods. I think all the shows have maybe touched on the director football role um, to some degree or other. There's pros and cons, right? So the, the the main pro that most people suggest about having a director of football is that they oversee the full football operation from youth to top team and scouting, you know, the whole works, which is a huge operation these days. Um, and they sort of put in the foundations so that if a manager leaves, then that the framework of the club doesn't change um, and, and you can just rehire and, 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 and keep that continuity. I guess that's fine in principle, but we talk about great players getting poached and great managers getting poached. What's to stop a great director of football being poached as well? So then you, you, you're kind of back in the same boat. I think it seems to me, uh, and I think a lot of people are sort of starting to feel this, that, that Mark Law sort of almost doing a bit of a de facto director of football role there's certainly there's certainly football the football division seems to be more cohesive uh brendan talked a lot about that you know the foundation of that already being there mark doing a good job here and you know about this we're tapping into markets we've that weren't being tapped into previously he mentioned i think it was in the fan media he mentioned that the previous recruitment model was confused which I think was him being a little bit um diplomatic and saying you know essentially it looked sounded like you know he was asking for one thing and other people were delivering something else. And, you know, there wasn't any kind of 
real strategy or plan and that certainly seems to have have changed and and i think there was a, a concern that Ange was sort of this godlike manager uh in terms of gets all you know gets all the power and there sort of makes all the decision making but i think with him moving on and pretty much everybody staying that's maybe that was maybe overstated i think um this certainly looks like there's a football division that you know the fact we're still tapping into the australian market with tilio um and and obviously the korean market with yang is you know heavily been been well i don't think it's a rumor he's we're definitely interested because he's pretty much trying to force his way out of, of his club so we're still in those same markets now obviously we'd have probably been well down the road with those not knowing that andrew's definitely going but the fact that rogers has come in and happy to work within that framework framework suggests to me that he's really happy that of how that's all set up. Otherwise he wouldn't be, you know, ultimately the manager doesn't carry a hundred percent responsibility, but given what seems to be rumored last time about ended up with players that he didn't really want or need, he's not going to come back and accept players like Tilio and um, Holm and maybe Yang who have clearly been scouted for a while. You know, he's not scouted them in the last two weeks. So the fact that he's happy for us to continue to move forward on that basis means that he there's a full and he, he basically you're right he 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 expressed that in the the press conference he's happy and comfortable with what the structure that's there for that part of of the football operation which is identifying players scouting getting deals done get, you know and nicholson's done a great job in terms of not just fronting up with the cash but actually getting these deals done and over the line pretty quickly so it seems like we've got that you know without being blocked it seems like we've got shit together with that regard uh, more than we have in, I don't think, I, I can't think of a time where we've had a better grip on all of that sort of stuff. And we've got what seems like a continuity and strategy, strategical plan that is, is moving forward on transfer. So long may it continue. Um, do we need a, an actual director of football? <sighs> Maybe. Um, but as I say, you, if that person gets poached, then you potentially cause the same disarray as, as it could be if if we don't and, and managers move on. So I think it's about getting the, you know all the parts of the football operation right. Get youth working properly. Get scouting working properly. Get data analytics working properly. Get nutrition and health and fitness and all of that. You know, if they're all working well, and then the money men are getting deals done, and we're managing assets properly out the other way. So you know, under Rogers' first spell, some players you know didn't didn't go when the peak time for to sell them was. Cham, probably best example. Um, if we look at our neighbours across the, across the city, they've been hopeless at that and it's really going to start to hurt them um, in terms of asset management. So we need to, you know, we've done well with Jota and we did well with Edward and we did well with Ayer and even Christie, I think, you know, it was a pretty good deal given how little time was on his contract and I think we got a, a bonus for him getting promoted as well. So we, it seems like the contract stuff is being do, done well. So if we keep on that, on that regard, um, yeah, it bodes well for the future. Yep, have to agree with you on that. So I was going to ask you, how do you think our recruitment has been over the last 12 to 18 months and which players at the club do you think will be moving on in the next 6 to 12 months? I think you may have touched on that already on the the pot noodle on Wednesday. Last week we've touched on this, but if you just want to go over that again and leave it with you. Yeah, look, it's difficult. So I, I think in terms of the recruitment's been great. For the most part, recruitment has been has been really, really good. I can't think of a time when we've got consistently as many good players in the door, even players that, you know, haven't stuck around for a very long time. I think of like Giacomakis and Juranovic. They were cult heroes. People absolutely loved them. People are still moaning that we've let those guys go. But we we brought them in. They did a job. They absolutely did a job and they helped us get things moving under Ange. But they were older guys. They were in their like late 20s. Um, and we've turned them over, taken a bit of a fee, made a bit of a profit on both. Not the profits that maybe some of us thought was possible, but we certainly made a profit on them. And we've, well, in in, in Juranovic's case, unbelievably, because he thought he was one of the best players at the club. We've I think we've definitely upgraded with Johnson. He's He's been great since he came in and he's only 24 and he's, he's got so much upside. Uh and oh, you know, there was an argument that said like if Kyogre got injured, we could have been in the shit. And that, that's potentially true, but we touched on it in the pot noodle. I, I think Mieda could have filled in through the middle and he certainly played there for Japan and there's some of his Japanese clubs as well. Um, so I think generally recruitment's been pretty good. You're always going to have a few um, misses, but it tends to be the misses have been 
loans with options and we've decided not to take those options and sent them back so you, the one that you probably stands out is is maybe not you know i've been reasonably expensive and not quite worked out is probably bernabay but um i think there's a player in there i just you know i i don't know if i'd be, be interested to see if rogers can get, you know get a tune out of him i'm not completely discounting him yet um there was obviously there's obviously a player there um i just don't know if it's a left back um so general recruitment's been really good in terms of moving on I guess it's a mixture of who I think and who do I who, who do I think we can afford to move on. We've got to move some dead wood. Um, all that lo- all those loanees, most of them need to to go because um, it's just you know how small their wages are, uh, and some of them, I guess, a jetty's wage, for example, is probably reasonably hefty. Um, we just need them. We just need to cut our losses and get them off the bill. If we can get a fee for any of them, great. But just take what we can get and get rid. Um, uh, we've obviously lost Jota. I think we might lose one more potentially uh great we've tied down kyogo that was a big one that was heavily rumored now i'll i'll tell you who i think will be the other one to go everyone's talking up um you know it's going to be hatade it's going to be o'reilly i think it'll be turnbull he's got 12 months left in his contract Look, i think i think he should go i know i've heard people say oh he's you know, he's a 10, so he fits Roger's systems better. And that, he's, that's right, he is, but he isn't at the level, right? I'd rather play Hatati in, in a 10, even though he's more of an 8. Than, I'd rather than, play Kelmack in a 10 over him. Well, yeah, and, and we're just, Haksabanovic can play there. Um, so, yeah, like the one that worries me uh, and seems to be flip-flopping, because I don't think people really know what's going to happen with him, uh, is a badder, right? So a, a lot of fans, see, a badder seems to be a guy who splits the support pretty heavily. I see comments on Twitter that, you know, he's rubbish. We need him out. Let, you know, take what you can get for him. I'll be honest. I have, no, I have no idea what those people, what they're watching, right? Yes, he isn't always the most technical in terms of having the ball under control. I think that's definitely got better in his two seasons. But that's a guy who scores a phenomenal amount of goals, is com- incredibly difficult to pick up in the box. And and a bit like Kyogo, you never see him, and then he's out of nowhere, and he's you know, or he's Kyogo, you just never see him, and then he scores. Abada, you sort of, oh, is he is he on a, is it on his day? It's like he's missed a few touches, you know, he's miscontrolled something, and then suddenly he's lost his marker, and he's he scored a screamer, or he's he's ghosted in, and he's finished. I think his ceiling is incredibly high at only twenty one. Um, like uh, we touched on the point earlier about you know players developing. Um, and getting game time, and obviously play like Tilio has played a lot of game time at only twenty one. I feel like a is in a similar kind of boat. You know, Sporting Lisbon were supposedly interested, and then apparently now not interested. I think there's genuine interest from Ajax. He didn't sign an extension, and people have taken that lack of signing an extension that he's definitely off this summer. He's still got three years on his deal. He's 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 contracted till twenty twenty six. So unless he's really pissed off. And the reports coming out at the end of the last season, or the end of the season, just gone said he was quite happy. Unless he's hugely upset, or you know, throwing his toys out the pram, or trying to force a move. If Rogers, Rogers is great with young players, isn't it? like we said, he he's more he's more arm round the shoulder than Ange. Ange is a bit standoffish and doesn't want to build too much of a personal connection with his players because he wants to be. He wants to be able to look at things objectively. Rogers is less like that. Like, you know, he'll make the hard decisions, but he does want to connect with his players. He's, he, he, that's part of what he's into. So if he has a heart-to-heart with Abada and, you know, I think we could easily see Abada stay for another season. And if he does, I think he's the first pick for the right wing role for now. You know, Taylor is going to have to battle him for that jersey. And having Tilio breathing down about his neck is just only going to push him to another level. So, you know, two twenty-one-year-olds battling out—I uh, think it'd be amazing. And I, so I really hope he doesn't go. But you know, it sounds like he—he he might. Um, one of I think one of Hatati or O'Reilly might go. It'd be great if we can hold on to both. But if one of them goes, on at their level of ability and age and level of contract they've signed, that's another fat fee. And if that's another fat fee, then you know you are going to go in pay you know i think break the club record fee 12 15 16 million on a fee and make them if not the top earner then close to the top earner and uh and really level up so it's one of those i 
Ange told us, you know, don't get too attached to your heroes. And he, we thought he meant players, but he obviously meant himself as well. And um, that's kind of where I'm at, right? So, you know, as a kid, you, you know, you love your heroes and you're lucky because back then players stayed around for a long time. And then you're in your teens and 20s and Larson stays for an age. Then you grow up and you're a little bit more circumspect and cynical and players start leaving all the time. And you're, Here we go, a little go. <laughs> you know, Here come in, do a, job, do a job for my club, make a profit on you, turn them around, bring another one in. Um, yeah, so I kind of that's my view on it, I think. But um, I, think, I, I think there'll be a bit more turnover to come and probably more than we were necessarily expecting. Like I said in the partner role, it's only four and a half weeks ago since we won the cup final. Um, so yeah, six weeks ago, we probably thought we had a real steady squad, same manager, add one or two, away we go. Not quite. Well, what you're saying about a barter makes perfect sense because it reminds me of if you've got a barter with Tilio at his heels, it's the same as when you had um Forrest and Paddy Roberts challenging each other for that right for that right wing spot. And on top of that, you go, I'd I can understand why Abada didn't sign a new contract because, let's be honest, you, you come here, Golden Boy nominee or something like that, you're expecting to be a, you know, get a good chance in the team. And basically you've got Jota and Maeda starting in front So you're basically relegated to a backup role. If you've got threes on your deal, why would you sign an, an extension when you're like, I'm just a backup? Mm. Like either give me a chance or I'm not going to sign. Well, now... With Jota moving on, you look at it and go, and I spoke about this on the pot noodle as well, that I like to have that production line where you've got your starter, you've got your backup, and then when you, your starter gets sold for big money, then the backup steps up to be your main guy, and then you replace him. And that's exactly what we've done here. Jota's moved on. Abada moves up to the starter. Tilio comes into the backup. Now, Tilio pushes Abada so they're improving each other, and then you end up with... In twelve months' time, a barter gets goes to be sold. Well, you'll get you'll get 30, 30 plus for him. You'd think because he's still got a long term contract. So that's that production line we talk about in the player trading model. So, yeah, perfect sense. So, other than so, what areas of the team do you think we need to strengthen going into the season? I know we touched on the pot noodle as well, but let's get yeah, you deep dive into that. It's a bit of a weird one, right? So on the face of it, we talk a lot about strength and depth and it being, you know, pretty heavily heavily covered. But then a few players, you know, one or two players miss out and then suddenly you look a bit a bit light. Obviously, we've lost Aaron Moy. Jota's gone. Um, we might lose one or two others. Uh, I'm not desperate for a new goalkeeper, but if there was one available, then... Um, I certainly think we probably need one, to your point, in the pipeline that's ready to step up next season. So Joe Hart's on a three-year deal. I'd quite like for that to be extended, but then for it to flip and him be the backup next season, because he's been amazing for the squad. But, uh, you know, is he Champions League level still? I think he might have one season added, but, we, you know, we probably need to upgrade that. But it's not for me, it's not a priority this window. Um, maybe next window, getting ready for the, for, for next season. Um, I I think we need a Champions League ready number 10. Uh, so somebody can see all of those Kyogre runs and we touched on it and that might be um, Raider. Um, it might be somebody else, but that's, I think, in a creative role, which can also add some goals, I think that's worth spending money on. Um, we probably need another striker um, just to put, you know, a bit of pressure on Kyogo and, and to be a solid, you know, I think always a great prospect, but but do you want to go into a season fighting in Europe and domestically as him, your main backup? I, I'm with with no one behind him, really. I'm not 100% comfortable with that. If Kyogo gets a bad injury, then it's a lot to ask of a young player. So, I, you know, Mieda can fill in there, but I would like to see another striker potentially. Um, we'd probably see another winger. I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously, we're looking at Yang. I wouldn't be surprised to see another winger. Left back's an interesting one. I think, you know, JT's been amazing, but is he going to fit the system as well as uh, under Rogers? I don't know. Potentially, Rogers has played around with inverted fullbacks, and Greg was at his absolute peak 
coming in and filling up that extra space and Lincoln play high up the pitch. Uh, so there's a possibility. I certainly think we need cover at left back. If 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 it's not a direct replacement for GT, it's definitely got to be breathing down his neck. Uh, and then we need we do need to start a, 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 another centre back. Now, do we do we out and out replace Starfelt with better quality again? It could be a tallish order, um, depending on how much we spend elsewhere. But we certainly need better backup than Kobayashi and Welsh. Um, so again. If you've got a really quality third centre back, then him and Starfelt can battle it out, or potentially we can play three at the back, or a bit of bit of variation. So, and that's just if we don't lose anyone else. So, if we lose anyone else, we obviously need to add a bit more in. But yeah, that that's so that tell like you know it says to me there's three or four, potentially even five over a twelve month period. It's not. All, I'm not expecting all of that right now, but certainly over the next. This window, the next window, and then next summer. Or win out if you're Australian. Got a doozy of a question for you here. How do you think VAR has worked in Scotland so far? And what needs to be done to improve it? I could go forever. No, look, I think... It's a whole other podcast. Yeah, look, I, I'm glad we've got it. That's the first thing, right? It it It's by no means perfect. Ultimately, it's the people using it that's that's the issue and kind of how it's been applied, right? So uh, to be a forward-looking league, you've got to have it, right? So that's the first thing. I'm glad we've got it. Um, there's probably a case for... I don't think that the match officials that are in the middle need to be the people operating VAR, right? We've got a relatively small pool of top-class in very commas refs um and and their ability is dubious at best right so why are we spreading them even more thinly by sticking some of them in the studio um there's plenty of there must be plenty of refs that have hung up the whistles in various parts of the globe that are that are, would, would would come to scotland for a season and sit in a studio every weekend and make decisions and you could get I'm not saying you, you get like the best refs on the planet ever, but you could probably tempt a few out of retirement to come and have a year in Scotland. And then you've got people from another area, which, you know, I'm not, I don't want a tinfoil hat on in terms of biasness, but you know, you got fresh eyes looking at things. It's automatically going to be, you know, better than, than the, the goldfish. Because at the end of the day, refs, even even if they don't mean it, they run up against the same players constantly because it's a small league that plays each other four times. So they are, you know, the players meet each other all the time. The refs are even more so. So if there's any little niggle or, you know, that guy, that player's annoying or whatever, that plays into their bias. So it doesn't necessarily, you know, depend on, you know, which school they went to or which, you know, church they went to or whatever. Like it, it's yeah, more about, you know, just, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, look, I think, has it gone well? It's not gone brilliantly. Um, has it got better over the course of the season? I think it probably has done a bit. Um, the biggest thing is it's sort of taken too long. So they need to be smart art. Like when they show a replay and you, know, you or I can go, well, it's a penalty or it's a foul or it isn't in one view and they look at it six times. Ninety seconds past, then it, they call the ref. Right? It's just daft, yeah. right? So, so I think like common sense approach says um, it can be better. My biggest thing is make them up, make them up like uh, like rugby union, and then at least it's transparent. You know, they are accountable. At the end of the day, it's an entertainment. You know, we we all invest way more than just you know go to the movies. Like you know, it's a passion, it's a love, it's you know lifetime. But it's ultimately an entertainment, a form of entertainment. So get get some transparency in there. Like at, at the end of the day, if the ref says you know he speaks to her, his, his var, and the two of them have a conversation and they make a decision. You might, we might not agree with that decision, but at least if we can follow the rationale, you know, I can see why they made it. I disagree with, you know, their, their thinking on it, but I understand how they came to that decision. Whereas at the minute, some of these decisions are so ludicrous, you've got absolutely no idea how they got, got to that decision. So it's a work in progress. Um, look, leagues like EPL that have had it for longer have still got VAR controversy week in, week out. But uh, look, it's here to stay. I think we should have it. 
hopefully we can get it working a little bit better and it doesn't break up the game. Um, but yeah, that's probably more than I wanted to say on it and uh, best left there for now, I think. Fair enough. So we'll get into the fun questions. So other than Henry Larson, who would be your all-time favourite Celtic player and why? Uh, it's quite an easy one for me, actually, because he, he's probably right up there with Larson and they've probably got it jointly. So um, for me, it's the maestro, Paul McStay. Um, he's, he's the first he's the first player. Like, obviously, I said that I sort of got, I became a Celtic fan in the early to mid-80s. And, yeah, he was a young player at that time. But but very quickly, like my the first season I can remember being all in invested and can remember pretty much or certainly remember I wouldn't remember every game now, but I remember being involved in watching highlights and being across the scores and being completely invested in the side week in week out. First season for me of that was the centenary year, eighty seven, eighty eight, uh, won a double, um, and McStay was obviously at the heart of that team in the midfield. Um, just that, just that we talked about Armoy earlier um, on the pot noodle in terms of just being uh, a bit of a Rolls Royce of a player, and that for me that's McStay. Like you know, never look flustered, great control, brilliant range of passing, could hit a, hit a great strike from inner or outside around the box, scored some great goals, and just sell it through and through. Like his whole family, you know, the history goes back. There's been McStays in the Celtic story for you know since pretty much almost day one. Um, and and had the opportunity to go and probably should have gone. Like he had the opportunity to go mm-hmm. to CRA. Times. Uh, but there was like there was a point where it, it was the end of I can't remember which season it might have been the end of uh night it was the early nineties when we were absolutely bloody dreadful. And he threw his he took his last game of the season, he took his shirt and he threw it into the jungle as it was at the time, the old stand in jungle across the main stand. And um everybody took that as as basically a, you know, he was off. And I don't know what happened, if he had a change of heart or whatever, but uh, the rumour was heavily, I can't remember the club that he was linked with, but he was heavily rumoured to be going to CRA. And to be honest, as a Celtic fan, we were delighted that he stayed. But, you know, if I take my Celtic hat off, he probably should have gone, right? He 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 was that kind of, CRA at the time was the best league in Europe. He was easily good enough to operate at that level. He's got, I think, you know, 60, 70, maybe 70 odd, Scotland caps. I think he's, you know, one of the most capped Celtic players of all time. Uh, but yeah, he stayed and he stayed during a bloody dreadful period. Like he had a successful early period of his career, but then once he became skipper, I think he only won that that one Scottish Cup as, as captain in 95. And I'm glad he got that because he, he definitely deserved it. But yeah, between sort of him and, and John Collins, they sort of, sort of dragged that team around for a few, but that period... You know, speaking about glory hunting, that period was bloody awful to be a Celtic fan. So I'm glad I got the I'm glad I got the centenary year to sort of hook me in because sort of Celtic sort of catfished me with that. So we got I'm an 11 year old kid or something. We've won the we've won the uh, the double in our centenary year. It's sort of historic, like it's sort of absolute legendary the stuff of legends. It's just incredible. Billy McNeil back is as you know second spell as manager and you know famous you know legend of the club and it all just fell into place they'd spent a fortune and we we cobbled together a bunch of sort of um like a ragtag bunch from here there and everywhere mick mccarthy and billy stark and and you know all these players that we sort of cobbled together chris morris um what a team though an absolute just a proper team and um that's also i, I think you know just, just that—it's that kind of season that sets you as a Celtic fan for life. You know, you something embeds that in you that young, and it, it, probably that is what kind of, you know, it, it, we, I needed that in the locker to be able to cope with the next nine years, which <laughs> we all know <laughs> absolutely horrific. Um, so, so yeah, Paul McStay by some distance is my uh, other than Larson, my all-time self in my era, anyway. So off the back, so back of that, then. So of all the people you've seen play for Celtic in your lifetime, who would be the top five players that you've seen? If you're building like a five-a-side team or something like that. Hard. This is really hard, especially without much prep. Um, so let's just gut, gut feel it. I'll miss some people. But um, so you obviously got last year. You've got six or seven yeah. then and you have some special mentions or a bench. So, yeah, you've got – look, you'd have you'd have Larson. You'd have uh, – 
you'd have Paul McStay, you'd have uh, goalies. Lucky, I've seen a few good ones. Probably have either, probably Boric might shade four-star, but one of those two. Uh, if you're having a pick in a keeper, uh, I absolutely loved Paul Elliott. He was only around for a little while, but I absolutely loved Paul Elliott. He was a, a proper sort of footballer at centre-half. Loved him. Um, but then, then you've got guys like Mialbi, who's just a warrior. Um, Nakamura, what a player. Um, on Naka, actually, tell, tell if I've got it, if I'm allowed to do this, as I said, a couple of stories about Naka. Um, so I lived in Leeds for a good chunk of my 20s, and I was a season ticket holder when, for some of that time. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be at both Champions League games against Man United uh, when Naka scored in both of them. So uh, I think it was what, 2005, 2006, something like that. I think 2006. So the, the, the away tie, yeah, the away tie in um, at Old Trafford, I was working with a guy at the time who was a big United fan and he managed to get us a pair of tickets for that match in the United. <laughs> so I was, I was in the United. So I managed to, I managed to keep myself in my seat just about um, when Naka bent that one in. And we obviously, I think we lost 3-2 in the end. So, and he was threatening to like, he was joke. I was like, you can't joke about this, mate. This is ridiculous. You know, I'll get lynched. Um, and then luckily enough, I was, um, I so I think I I think I had my season to get in my name, but I wasn't. I sort of because it was getting harder and harder to come up. I'd sort of given it to um, one of the guys in my local supporters club back in Scotland, so I could get it now and again. But certainly a big game like that was hard to get for. But anyway, I managed to get. I was due to go on a work training course. I looked at all the dates, and it was up in Glasgow, right? <laughs> so I looked at all the dates, and I, I found one of the courses that fell on that two-day period <laughs> the game was on on the wednesday night so i booked myself on this course it's a two or three day course right and that and work also got us into you can book into the hilton hilton hotel in glasgow which is at the time i don't know what it happens now but at the time that's where celtic the the whole team the squad booked in the night before a game so they were all there right so i booked into the hotel for this training course like they were there i was on the phone i was like messaging my mom and phone i'm like everybody you know I'm, I'm up. I'm in Glasgow. Please, somebody find me a ticket for this bloody match. Anyway, I managed to get a brief for the game. And yeah, what a match, obviously. Naka. Bit. So two of my picks, Naka and Boric, both immense that night. Boric obviously saved the penalty late on. Um, and then and then Naka bent in, probably the best free kick. Certainly the best free kick I've ever seen in in the flesh. Um, and probably one of the best I've ever seen Um in any anyway and then uh and i was also lucky enough to be in the ground the night that he bent that one in against rangers um that just moved in all directions and 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 then obviously novo equalized and and then you know the late late goal by um van god of hesling is just a placement they're like i've I mean, I've lucky enough to been in there for Champions League nights and all sorts, but that was one of the loudest nights uh, I can remember at Celtic Park. It was just incredible. Um, so yeah, Naka, Naka for for sure. Um, I don't know, like um, some of the more modern guys, um, Rogic, obviously, you know, for an Aussie podcast, Rogic is, was just an incredible talent. Um you know, guys like Musa, just anyone that sort of gets in about it and thumps the thumps the Huns, you kind of get to love pretty quickly. Bruni's a legend. Karl Marx, it's you can go on and on and on and like this. It's really hard, um, especially without much prep. But yeah, lucky enough to, to have seen after a, a pretty desolate period. And even back then, you know, we, we saw some good players like, you know, Van Hoydonk and Cadet and, you know, Decanio and, and Andy Tom, some really good players. Like, and, and to be honest, with those players, we should have been doing better. Like, I, I kind of look back on that, and I was pretty young back then. I kind of look back now, going, "How were we so shit back then when we had some incredible?" Like, I don't know really. Like, it's it's, it's a weird one. Obviously, there's a big discrepancy in cash and all of that. But I feel like I feel like there was a period where it's always been Celtic's DNA to 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 not just win, but win attractively and and. You know, Brendan Rogers mentioned it in his press conference. We've got to win stylistically a certain way, but I feel like there was a good chunk of our um, certainly the period in 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 my sort of first kind of decade, I guess, of of sport supporting Celtic and watching closely is we kind of got that around the wrong way. We 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 looked great on the eye, but we didn't we couldn't get results. Um, there, was no, all, there was no substance to our style, basically. Yeah, well. you need to marry you need to marry both, and. Um, 
yeah, it was it was um it was a bit disappointing. Um and obviously guys like Chris Sutton and John John Hartson and that whole team that O'Neill built Petrov, Stan Petrov, what a player. Um again, I was lucky enough to be I was in Seville, I was at the ground, got a ticket for that as well. So some really lucky, some incredible um experiences. And that's a weird season because I look back on that with a fond memory that we the, the run we went on and and all of that and how close we got and you sort of forget we won nothing right it's and it's funny we mock we we mock rangers in terms of what they did exactly the same they pretty much won nothing and you know um but it didn't feel like that do you know what i mean it didn't really feel like that at the time and as if you look in the record books it says rangers want to uh they want to treble that year but whilst it was disappointment I felt like we is that thing. I do. I don't want to trade European success for for domestic success. I want both. And yeah, you might trade a cup or whatever. But looking like at the time, as disappointing as it was, there was definitely a pride in operating at that level and and getting as close as we did. And that was a great Porto side. Obviously, they went on and won the Champions League the following year. Um, but yeah, to to be in to be in Seville for that and just the pilgrimage that it became and the day out in the run up to it. Um, again, I don't know if I've got time to tell the story, but it's, I've got a funny story from Seville, which, um, so I, I, um, like my mum is a huge Celtic fan. She's still a season ticket holder. She still gets all the time. And, um, I, I've sort of quite, quite young at the time. I was probably only been, I think working for a year or two, uh, after university when, when, the, when that game was on. So, maybe three, but I didn't have much money because I was pretty much spending all spent, you know, you like in your early twenties, you spend it and you earn it and you spend it. And you earn it, yeah. Spend it. Anyway. Yeah. 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 So, but they, once we got, I was like, I'm going to try and I'm going to go. And if, and then my mom managed to get us a ticket through the local club. So Fraser Bray FC, my local sort of Highland league side who, you know, we played a friend, like Sally played a friendly the other, uh, just at the weekend there for a charity match. We, we know the now chairman. He was on the board at the time, but he was, he's now the chairman. And all like when a when a club gets to a European final, all clubs in the system get a pocket of allocation of tickets for a European final. So Fraser FC in the what fifth tier of Scottish football had a wee batch of tickets, and so my mum managed to secure two tickets out of their little batch of tickets. Maybe I don't know, I had 10, 15, 20 tickets. Anyway, they, we got two of them. So now you had then you had to find your way there. So. You know, it was trains, planes, automobiles, couldn't get to Seville, no accommodation, no transport. So there was like holiday companies doing package trips to the Algarve. So over the border into Portugal. So you flew out a three or four day trip. You fly into the Algarve, just into some like family tourist resort. And then on the day of the match, they bust you over first thing in the morning. You go all day in the city of Seville, mingle around, have a beer, take in the atmosphere, walk to the game. And then the bus picks you up outside, you know, a bit from the ground takes you back to portugal <laughs> so yeah, that's what we did but um the, the funniest bit of the day so i so we had knew some people from the sports club and stuff that were there but essentially i was there like the main person that was my mom right so we are in the main square in seville and it's there's tim's everywhere it's green and white as far as i can see there's a few pockets of Porto fans there sort of looking a bit bewildered but enjoying themselves as well anyway we're in a bar outside beautiful it was boiling beautiful weather no toilet drinking while we were there. So uh, we're, we're having a few beers. And my mum says, I think that's Billy Connolly. And she, I went, oh, you're yeah, very, very fucking good. Uh, it was Billy Connolly, right? <laughs> so obviously, well known Celtic fan, Billy Connolly. He's, he's a good distance away, right? And I mean a good distance away. Like, there's a big square and he's at least halfway across it. So I was like, oh, it is. And before I said, oh, it is, she's off, right? And even... 20 years ago she wasn't the most mobile but <laughs> i've never seen her move so quick right she's got she's so my mom's like famous people she likes and sell players and stuff she loves a photo before the days before a selfie she was trying to get somebody else to take a photo or an autograph or whatever anyway she's looking set off all five foot two of her and whatever running around like as close as she could get she can't run but close as she could have got to run anyway she's beelining for Connolly, and he's he's a fair bit younger as well and he's walking at a reasonable lick and and she's kind of over his shoulder so he can't really see her coming but she's paying zero attention to anything other than beelining for billy Connolly. she walked into the back end of a horse and ended on her ass 
<laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. She ended up on our backside. She'd walked into the back end of a, a police horse uh, or, or the horse and carts that take people around in these tourists. I was I was nearly doubled over laughing. It's absolutely brilliant. Anyway, she'll be the light. She'll listen to this, no doubt. Um, and uh, she'll she'll no doubt. Uh, be delighted that I've told that story, but it, it was it was the funniest thing that happened while I was in Seville, um, and and still a memorable one. Uh, that's brilliant. I was going to ask you what are some of the most memorable games you've seen, but you've rattled off a bunch you've been to, so we'll skip to the last one I've got on the list here. Was other than Messi and Ronaldo, who would be the one player that you've seen play during your lifetime, and you wish that they could have signed for Celtic? But just picture like. We're Scrooge McDuck. We've got endless money. We just, I'm saying we don't have oil money. It's Scrooge, whatever. We can spend it on whoever you want. Who would it be and why? You can go a couple if you want. Um, so the one, there's two that immediately jump out at me and I'll, I'll miss some brilliant ones as well. But uh, Maldini, just uh, probably the best defender. Uh, in, I think in my lifetime, um, it's the second ev- time it's come up in that one. So there you yeah. go. Just, just everything, everything you want in a in a in a defender. Um, just an absolute superstar. Uh, and z- probably if I'm looking at somebody more creative and further forward, I'd say Zidane. Just again, an absolute next level yeah. player. Uh, Pirlo, you go there. The original Ronaldo. If you're talking modern. Doesn't get much better than Haaland at the minute. Um, but yeah, my favourite answer I've ever had for that was uh, Juan Roman Raquelme. <laughs> he's uh, he's 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 a character and some player. Um, yeah. A bit of a flawed genius. Look, it, the the absolute one for me. Um, who did you say I couldn't have? I couldn't have Messi or Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Yeah. Diego Maradona. Then absolutely, like he's the goat for me. The he, the absolute yeah. goat above Pele. I absolutely loved Maradona. I was, again, 86 World Cup is the first World Cup that I really remember. Um, that's kind of the, the early days of falling in love with the beautiful game. Um, and that goal he scored, well, both goals he scored against England were brilliant, right? But <laughs> the one the one where he used his feet mainly was, um, for me, still the, the greatest goal. Both, both of them were great. Don't, don't question the one that used his hand. Like, they're both amazing. They're both legitimate goals. Just, just ask him. I thought it was a header, a header with yeah, the help too. of a hand god. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I absolutely yeah, Maradona. Um, he gets a lot of stick just on the basis of you know. You love you know, the uh, the nose beers, yeah. Oh yeah, but also the, the you know the, the, a lot of the kids go you know he's the modern game etc cetera, etc. Cetera. The guy was five foot five and had a chronic drug and alcohol problem and he was still the best player in the world. Um, he had zero protection from refs compared to what you would get now. He got booted up and down. He never, never took a backward step. An absolute mad lunatic, but I think the the greatest player to grace the game. You want to talk about another bit of a lunatic? You know, he signed um, John Hartson back in the day, and he had his um, his little bit of things going on. There was a guy at the same sort of time that I was like, imagine if we signed Robbie Fowler. <laughs> Talking about lunatics. There you go. Yeah, Fowler was a Fowler was a decent a, a decent player. Well, more than a decent player at the time. I saw I actually saw him turn out for Perth Glory. I had the misfortune to see him turn out for Perth Glory. Um, I think it might have been one of the last times. Probably not the last time I went to to any league match, but one of the last times. And it's sort of unfortunately things like that turned me yeah. off the A League. Like yeah. he he literally he he got he got the ball knocked off to him inside the centre circle, and he did. A quite a wide turn because his arse was quite big by then and sprayed a pretty nice pass but it's just a pretty regulation nice pass out to the left wing and he nearly got a stand innovation i was like is is this is this the, is this the expectation level so yeah no it's it's... El Piero over here when he was just running along oh sorry not running waddling along and then he's like um oh, i'm out of breath now so i'll just stop in front of a defender let him run into my ass put me on the ground and win a free kick and then i'll get up and hit the free kick have a shot so it was kind of like the same sort of stuff you see in there. It's like saying with Fowler and the crowd goes absolutely wild for it. I'm like, he didn't do anything. He initiated contact and fell over. Absolutely. <laughs> like, get Absolutely. what you mean. Very funny one. Yeah. All right, Paul. Well, um, 
Thanks for jumping on for a Tim talk with us. It's been great to uh, learn a bit about you and your Celtic journey like as a supporter. So uh, thanks for that. And I'm sure everyone will uh, enjoy the episode and tune in and listen to your thoughts going into next season as well on the uh, Celtic Down Under podcast. So thanks for that. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. Enjoyed it. Podcast Network.